Hey everybody, Sean here. So, this is a little embarrassing. See, I thought that this Christmas episode that you're about to hear was going to post on Christmas Day. It was all set up, everything was great. Christmas Day was going to be on a Wednesday, which is my normal release day, and it was all going to work out fine. The thing is, I thought that I had posted it for a scheduled release on Christmas Day. As it turns out, things got busy, I didn't get around to uh, looking at the numbers and everything, and uh, I went to pull up the numbers the other day and saw that, well, nothing had posted. And so, here we are. No Christmas episode posted, and uh, I was left wondering what exactly had happened and how I had gone wrong, because obviously this was my fault. So, here's where we are. I've got this Christmas episode all ready to go, so I'm going to go ahead and post it right here. It'll be a little bit late, but hey, you know what? Who doesn't like a story about Santa Claus? So that's what we're going to do with that. But I've also got a couple other things going on. I'm going to let you know what that is before we get the show started here. For one, you'll notice in the intro and outro of this show that the sound quality that you hear there is not up to the usual standard of this show. And you may notice here, I've got a little more reverberation than usual. Uh, and it's all got to do with starting this new job, which has been great, by the way. Uh, it's got nothing to do with the actual job itself, but the thing is, it's necessitated more travel, and so I've got a travel rig, but I haven't gotten to the place yet where my sound quality is where I want it, and it's also necessitated a new office setup, and you may know that my office is also my studio, and so when I'm in my studio, and I have a new desk, and I have no soundproofing or sound dampening whatsoever in here, um, that causes a bit of an issue, so it's all about finding the right placement of everything, and I haven't really nailed that down yet. And with the job keeping me kind of busy and keeping me uh, on the road, um, it's taken me a little bit longer to get everything settled than I had originally planned. So here's what we're going to do. I'm posting this today, um, and I'm probably not going to get another episode out until February, I'm guessing. Uh, the studio is going to be kind of a work in progress for a while. Now, I'm not going to wait till it's a finished project before I start recording again. But in the meantime, I have to get it to where it's acceptable, and right now I don't feel like it is. So it'll be a slight delay. I wish I had some stuff in the can. Unfortunately, I just don't. Uh, I was not able to get ahead the way I wanted to, and uh, this is the last of the content that I have recorded right now. So we've got a late Christmas episode posting right now, uh, and until I get this studio sorted out, uh, that's pretty much going to be it. <laughs> but there is more coming, I promise. I'm not stopping. I just need to get something figured out with this office, uh, with the studio, where I can uh, kind of dampen some of this reverberation and get this uh, sound quality back to uh, an acceptable uh, level. In the meantime, if you haven't caught my guest appearance on the Epic Film Guys talking about the top five movies from 2018, you can go ahead and do that. There is a language advisory on that one if you are sensitive to such things. Uh, I've also got another guest appearance coming up. I'm not going to talk about that just yet because it's not actually scheduled. I haven't recorded it yet, but it is coming. Um, and I'll let you know when that is going to drop. And if you're relatively new to the show or maybe you want to uh, revisit some old episodes, there's always the back catalog. You can go check that out. Maybe I'll post some new ones here on the feed. If I get time, maybe I'll record some new intros, something like that. I'll try and get something on the feed here for you one way or another and uh, try not to leave you hanging too long. In the meantime, sorry for the delay, sorry for the late <laughs> Christmas episode, but hope you enjoy it, and, uh, well, let's start the show. Good 
morning, good afternoon, good evening, hello, wherever and whenever you are, and welcome to Stories of Your and Yours. My name is Sean Ennis, and today I'll be bringing you to the Laughing Valley for the story of an unlikely caper. Well, on one hand, there's no new Apple Podcast review to read this week, but on the other, I can start off the show in my favorite way, and that is by shouting out a brand new patron. Big thanks go out to Vanessa who has become a patron at the storyteller's level, which means she gets the laptop sticker and the magnet, the top priority for story requests, and all the bonus content that is available over at patreon.com slash syypodcast. Thank you so much, Vanessa. You have tremendous taste in podcasts, and your support is greatly, greatly appreciated. Thank you as well to the rest of the elite patrons of Stories of Your and Yours, Alan, Dan, Julio, Kayla, Ken, Moxie, Nick, and Rob, Thank you to each and every one of you. Today, ladies and gentlemen, I have got quite a treat for you. I'll be featuring the author of a book that inspired one of the most famous films in the history of Hollywood. Today's story is entitled A Kidnapped Santa Claus, and its author is one L. Frank Baum. Now, as a disclaimer, I've mentioned before that I speak German, and I tend to use the German pronunciation of words. So, if I slip into the German and call him L. Frank Baum, well... I'm probably not going to go back and fix it. So, if you hear me mess it up, just know that I know. Anyway, Lyman Frank Baum was born in 1856 in Chittenango, New York. Baum never liked his first name, Lyman, and preferred to go by Frank, and so here we are. From an early age, it seemed apparent that Baum would have, shall we say, a non-traditional career. He spent two years in a military academy as a young man, but was disciplined for, quote, daydreaming, and following a bit of a health crisis that was possibly related to his miserable state at the time, he returned home. He also started writing early on, as his father bought him a cheap printing press when he was a teenager. Frank and his brother Henry would print amateur periodicals such as the Rose Lawn Home Journal, his family's estate was called Rose Lawn, and the Stamp Collector, and they would distribute these to family and friends. He also had the hobby in his 20s of breeding fancy chickens, specifically the Hamburg chicken. Now, I tried to look up some specific characteristics of the Hamburg chicken that would make it fancy, but nothing I found made it sound any different from a regular chicken. So, I'll just have to take his word for it that Hamburgs are fancy. Baum took up theater early on, and his father supported this by building him theater, the stage plays that he had written and could perform in. Frank came from money, in case that wasn't apparent by now. Baum's theater career was not exactly a roaring success, though he met Maud Gage, who would become his wife during this period, so it wasn't all bad. Later, Baum would open a shop in South Dakota called Baum's Bazaar, which would go bankrupt due to Baum's penchant for extending too much credit to his patrons, and he would also spend time as a newspaper editor in South Dakota before moving to Chicago when that paper failed. In Chicago, he worked as a reporter for the Evening Post. Then he founded and edited a magazine called The Show Window, which was kind of a trade publication about visual merchandising in storefronts, uh, at which time he also worked as a traveling salesman. In 1897, at the age of 41, while still working as a salesman, Baum published his first children's book, Mother Goose in Prose. Now, this book was successful enough that he could quit his sales job and focus on writing full-time. In 1899, he published a book called Father Goose, his book, and that went on to be the best-selling children's book of that year. But what Baum is most well-known for would come the following year in 1900, when he published The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. The book was a huge success, and that was the best-selling children's book for two straight years. 
Baum would write 13 more Oz books, and several more have been published by other authors since his death. There's a lot more we could get into about Baum's history, his financial misadventures, his pie-in-the-sky plans to buy an island and turn it into an Oz amusement park, but we're just going to keep this brief. Baum died of a stroke in May of 1919, a year before his last Oz book was published. Seeing as how he was the writer of children's books, it's no surprise that he wrote about Santa Claus, whom he claimed lived in the Laughing Valley. Now, of course, this is a long time ago when Baum was writing, before we realized that Santa lives in the North Pole. Or perhaps he moved to the North Pole as a result of today's stories, but we'll get there in time. Speaking of today's story, A Kidnapped Santa Claus was first published in December of 1904 in a women's magazine called The Delineator. This was two years after he published The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus, so he was familiar with the material. The story has since been anthologized several times over. Now, I didn't find a lot of information about The Delineator publishing short stories. It seems that they mostly published sewing patterns and articles about fashion and such. It was a monthly magazine that ran from 1869 until 1937. So, with that brief background behind us, let's get started with this week's feature presentation. Kidnapped Santa Claus by L. Frank Baum Santa Claus lives in the Laughing Valley, where stands the big rambling castle in which his toys are manufactured. His workmen, selected from the rills, knooks, pixies, and fairies, live with him, and every one is as busy as can be from one year's end to the other. It is called the Laughing Valley because everything there is happy and gay. The brook chuckles to itself as it leaps rollicking between its green banks. The wind whistles merrily in the trees. The sunbeams dance lightly over the soft grass, and the violets and the wild flowers look smilingly up from their green nests. To laugh, one needs to be happy. To be happy, one needs to be content. And throughout the laughing valley of Santa Claus, contentment reigns supreme. On one side is the mighty forest of Burzee. At the other side stands the huge mountain that contains the caves of the demons and between them the valley lies smiling and peaceful. One would think that good old Santa Claus, who devotes his days to making children happy, would have no enemies on all the earth, and as a matter of fact, for a long period of time he encountered nothing but love wherever he might go. But the demons, who live in the mountain caves, grew to hate Santa Claus very much, and all for the simple reason that he made the children happy. The caves of the demons are five in number, A broad pathway leads up to the first cave, which is a finely arched cavern at the foot of the mountain, the entrance being beautifully carved and decorated. In it resides the demon of selfishness. Back of this is another cavern inhabited by the demon of envy. The cave of the demon of hatred is next in order, and through this one passes to the home of the demon of malice, situated in a dark and fearful cave in the very heart of the mountain. I do not know what lies beyond this. Some say there are terrible pitfalls leading to death and destruction, and this may very well be true. However, from each one of the four caves mentioned, there is a small, narrow tunnel leading to the fifth cave, a cozy little room, occupied by the demon of repentance. And as the rocky floors of these passages are well worn by the track of passing feet, I judge that many wanderers in the caves of the demons have escaped through the tunnels to the abode of the demon of repentance, who is said to be a pleasant sort of fellow, who gladly opens for one a little door, admitting you into fresh air and sunshine again. 
Well, these demons of the caves, thinking that they had great cause to dislike old Santa Claus, held a meeting one day to discuss the matter. I'm really getting lonesome, said the demon of selfishness, for Santa Claus distributes so many pretty Christmas gifts to all the children that they become happy and generous through his example and keep away from my cave. I'm having the same trouble, rejoined the demon of envy. The little ones seem quite content with Santa Claus, and there are few indeed that I can coax to become envious. And that makes it bad for me, declared the demon of hatred, for if no children pass through the caves of selfishness and envy, none can get to my cavern. Or to mine, added the demon of malice. For my part, said the demon of repentance, it is easily seen that if children do not visit your caves, they have no need to visit mine, so that I am quite as neglected as you are. And all because of this person they call Santa Claus exclaimed the demon of envy. He is simply ruining our business, and something must be done at once. To this they readily agreed. But what to do was another and more difficult matter to settle. They knew that Santa Claus worked all through the year at his castle in the Laughing Valley, preparing the gifts he was to distribute on Christmas Eve, and at first they resolved to try and tempt him into their caves, that they might lead him on the terrible pitfalls that ended in destruction. So, the very next day, while Santa Claus was busily at work, surrounded by his little band of assistants, the demon of selfishness came to him and said, "'These toys are wonderfully bright and pretty. Why do you not keep them for yourself? It is a pity to give them to those noisy boys and fretful girls who break and destroy them so quickly.' "'Nonsense!' cried the old greybeard, his bright eyes twinkling merrily as he turned toward the tempting demon." The boys and girls are never so noisy and fretful after receiving my presents, and if I can make them happy for one day in the year, I am quite content. So the demon went back to the others who awaited him in their caves and said, I have failed, for Santa Claus is not at all selfish. The following day the demon of envy visited Santa Claus. Said he, The toy shops are full of playthings quite as pretty as those you are making. What a shame it is that they should interfere with your business. They make toys by machinery much quicker than you can make them by hand, and they sell them for money, while you get nothing at all for your work. But Santa Claus refused to be envious of the toy shops. I can supply the little ones but once a year, on Christmas Eve, he answered, for the children are many and I am but one, and as my work is one of love and kindness, I would be ashamed to receive money for my little gifts. But all throughout the year children must be amused in some way, and so... The toy shops are able to bring much happiness to my little friends. I like the toy shops, and am glad to see them prosper. In spite of the second rebuff, the demon of hatred thought he would try to influence Santa Claus. So the next day he entered the busy workshop and said, Good morning, Santa. I have bad news for you. Then <laughs> run away like a good fellow, answered Santa Claus. Bad news is something that should be kept secret and never told. You cannot escape this, however declared the demon, for in the world are a good many who do not believe in Santa Claus, and these you are bound to hate bitterly, since they have so wronged you. Stuff and rubbish, cried Santa, and there are others who resent your making children happy, and who sneer at you, and call you a foolish old rattlepate. You are quite right to hate such base slanderers, and you ought to be revenged upon them for their evil words. "'But I don't hate him, exclaimed Santa Claus positively. "'Such people do me no real harm, but merely render themselves and their children unhappy. 
poor things, I'd much rather help them any day than injure them. Indeed, the demons could not tempt old Santa Claus in any way. On the contrary, he was shrewd enough to see that their object in visiting him was to make mischief and trouble, and his cheery laughter disconcerted the evil ones and showed them the folly of such an undertaking. So they abandoned honeyed words and determined to use force. It was well known that no harm can come to Santa Claus while he is in the Laughing Valley, for the fairies, the rills, and the canooks all protect him. But on Christmas Eve he drives his reindeer out into the big world, carrying a sleighload of toys and pretty gifts to the children. And this was the time and the occasion when his enemies had the best chance to injure him. So the demons laid their plans and awaited the arrival of Christmas Eve. The moon shone big and white in the sky, and the snow lay crisp and sparkling on the ground as Santa Claus cracked his whip and sped away out of the valley into the great world beyond. The roomy sleigh was packed full with huge sacks of toys, and as the reindeer dashed onward, our jolly old Santa laughed and whistled and sang for very joy. For in all his merry life, this was the one day in the year when he was happiest, the day he lovingly bestowed the treasures of his workshop upon the little children. It would be a busy night for him, he well knew. As he whistled and shouted and cracked his whip again, he reviewed in mind all the towns and cities and farmhouses where he was expected, and figured that he had just enough presents to go around and make every child happy. The reindeer knew exactly what was expected of them, and dashed along so swiftly that their feet scarcely seemed to touch the snow-covered ground. Suddenly, a strange thing happened. A rope shot through the moonlight, and the big noose that was on the end of it settled over the arms and body of Santa Claus and drew tight. Before he could resist or even cry out, he was jerked from the seat of the sleigh and tumbled head foremost into a snowbank, while the reindeer rushed onward with the load of toys and carried it quickly out of sight and sound. Such a surprising experience confused old Santa for a moment, and when he had collected his senses, he found that the wicked demons had pulled him from the snowdrift and bound him tightly with many coils of the stout rope. And then they carried the kidnapped Santa Claus away to their mountain, where they thrust the prisoner into a secret cave and chained him to the rocky wall so that he could not escape. Ha ha ha! laughed the demons, rubbing their hands together with cruel glee. What will the children do now? How they will cry and scold and storm when they find there are no toys in their stockings and no gifts on their Christmas trees! and what a lot of punishment they will receive from their parents, and how they will flock to our caves of selfishness and envy and hatred and malice. We have done a mighty clever thing, we demons of the caves. Now it so chanced that on this Christmas Eve the good Santa Claus had taken with him in his sleigh Nutter the Rill, Peter the Canook, Kilter the Pixie, and a small fairy named Whisk, his four favorite assistants. These little people he had often found very useful in helping him to distribute his gifts to the children, and when their master was so suddenly dragged from the sleigh, they were all snugly tucked beneath the seat, where the sharp wind could not reach them. The tiny immortals knew nothing of the capture of Santa Claus until some time after he had disappeared, but finally they missed his cheery voice, and as their master always sang or whistled for his journeys, the silence warned them that something was wrong. Little Whisk stuck out his head from underneath the seat and found Santa Claus gone, and no one to direct the flight of the reindeer. Whoa! he called out, and the deer obediently slackened speed and came to a halt. Peter and Nutter and Kilter all jumped upon the seat and looked back over the track made by the sleigh, but Santa Claus had been left miles and miles behind. What shall we do? asked Whisk anxiously, 
all the mirth and mischief banished from his wee face by this great calamity. We must go back at once and find our master, said Nutter the Rill, who thought and spoke with much deliberation. No, no, exclaimed Peter the Knook, who, cross and crabbed though he was, might always be depended upon in emergency. If we delay or go back, there will not be time to get the toys to the children before morning, and that would grieve Santa Claus more than anything else. It is certain that some wicked creatures have captured him, added Kilter thoughtfully, and their object must be to make children unhappy. So our first duty is to get the toys distributed as carefully as if Santa Claus were himself present. Afterward we can search for our master and easily secure his freedom. This seemed such a good and sensible advice that the others at once resolved to adopt it. So Peter the Knook called to the reindeer, and the faithful animals again sprang forward and dashed over hill and valley, through forest and plain, until they came to the houses wherein children lay sleeping and dreaming of the pretty gifts they would find on Christmas morning. The little immortals had set themselves a difficult task, for although they had assisted Santa Claus on many of his journeys, their master had always directed and guided them and told them exactly what he wished them to do. But now they had to distribute the toys according to their own judgment, and they did not understand children as well as did old Santa, so it is no wonder that they made some laughable errors. Mamie Brown, who wanted a doll, got a drum instead, and a drum is of no use to a girl who loves dolls, and Charlie Smith, who delights to romp and play out of doors and who wanted some new rubber boots to keep his feet dry, received a sewing box filled with colored worsteds and threads and needles, which made him so provoked that he thoughtlessly called our dear Santa Claus a fraud. Had there been many such mistakes, the demons would have accomplished their evil purpose and made the children unhappy. But the little friends of the absent Santa Claus labored faithfully and intelligently to carry out their master's ideas, and they made fewer errors than might be expected under such unusual circumstances. And, although they worked as swiftly as possible, day had begun to break before the toys and other presents were all distributed. So, for the first time in many years, the reindeer trotted into the Laughing Valley on their return, in broad daylight, with the brilliant sun peeping over the edge of the forest, to prove they were far behind their accustomed hours. Having put the deer in the stable, the little folk began to wonder how they might rescue their master, and they realized they must discover, first of all, what had happened to him and where he was. So Whisk the Fairy transported himself to the bower of the Fairy Queen, which was located deep in the heart of the forest of Burzee, and once there it did not take him long to find out all about the naughty demons and how they had kidnapped the good Santa Claus to prevent his making children happy. The Fairy Queen also promised her assistance, and then, fortified by this powerful support, Whisk flew back to where Nutter and Peter and Kilter awaited him, and the four counseled together and laid plans to rescue their master from his enemies. It is possible that Santa Claus was not as merry as usual during the night that succeeded his capture, for although he had faith in the judgment of his little friends, he could not avoid a certain amount of worry, and an anxious look would creep at times into his kind old eyes, as he thought of the disappointment that might await his dear little children, and the demons, who guarded him by turns, one after another, did not neglect to taunt him with contemptuous words in his helpless condition. When Christmas Day dawned, the demon of malice was guarding the prisoner, and his tongue was sharper than that of any of the others. "'The children are waking up, Santa,' he cried. "'They're waking up to find their stockings empty!' <laughs> Oh, how they will quarrel and wail and stamp their feet in anger. Our caves will be full today, old Santa. Our caves are sure to be full. But to this, as to other like taunts, 
Santa Claus answered nothing. He was much grieved by his capture, it is true, but his courage did not forsake him, and, finding that the prisoner would not reply to his jeers, the demon of malice presently went away, and sent the demon of repentance to take his place. This last personage was not so disagreeable as the others. He had gentle and refined features, and his voice was soft and pleasant in tone. "'My brother demons do not trust me overmuch,' said he, as he entered the cavern. "'But it is morning now, and the mischief is done. You cannot visit the children again for another year.' "'That is true,' answered Santa Claus, almost cheerfully. "'Christmas Eve is past, and for the first time in centuries I have not visited my children.' "'The little ones will be greatly disappointed,' murmured the demon of repentance, almost regretfully. "'But that cannot be helped now. Their grief is likely to make the children selfish and envious and hateful, and if they come to the caves of the demons today I shall get a chance to lead some of them to my cave of repentance.' "'Do you never repent yourself?' asked Santa Claus, curiously. "'Well, yes, indeed,' answered the demon. "'I am even now repenting that I assisted in your capture.' Of course it is too late to remedy the evil that has been done, but repentance, you know, can only come after an evil thought or deed, for in the beginning there is nothing to repent of. "'So I understand,' said Santa Claus. "'Those who avoid evil need never visit your cave.' "'As a rule that is true,' replied the demon. "'Yet you, who have done no evil, are about to visit my cave at once, for to prove that I yet sincerely regret my share in your capture,' I am going to permit you to escape." This speech greatly surprised the prisoner, until he reflected that it was just what might be expected of the demon of repentance. The fellow at once busied himself untying the knots that bound Santa Claus and unlocking the chains that fastened him to the wall. Then he led the way through a long tunnel until they both emerged in the cave of repentance. "'I hope you will forgive me,' said the demon pleadingly. "'I am not really a bad person, you know, and I believe I accomplish a great deal of good in the world.' With this he opened a back door that led in a flood of sunshine, and Santa Claus sniffed the fresh air gratefully. "'I bear no malice,' said he to the demon in a gentle voice, "'and I am sure the world will be a dreary place without you. So, good morning, and a merry Christmas to you!' With these words he stepped out to greet the bright morning, and a moment later he was trudging along, whistling softly to himself on his way to his home in the Laughing Valley. Marching over the snow toward the mountain was a vast army made up of the most curious creatures imaginable. There were numberless knooks from the forest, as rough and crooked in appearance as the gnarled branches of the trees they ministered to, and there were dainty rills from the fields, each one bearing the emblem of the flower or plant it guarded. Behind these were many ranks of pixies, gnomes, and nymphs, and in the rear a thousand beautiful fairies floated along in a gorgeous array. This wonderful army was led by Whisk, Peter, Nutter, and Kilter, who had assembled it to rescue Santa Claus from captivity and to punish the demons who had dared to take him away from his beloved children. And although they looked so bright and peaceful, the little immortals were armed with powers that would be very terrible to those who had incurred their anger. Woe to the demons of the caves, if this mighty army of vengeance ever met them. But lo, coming to meet his loyal friends appeared the imposing form of Santa Claus, his white beard floating in the breeze, and his bright eyes sparkling with the pleasure at this proof of the love and veneration he had inspired in the hearts of the most powerful creatures in existence. And while they clustered around him and danced with glee at his safe return, he gave them earnest thanks for their support. But Whisk, and Nutter, and Peter, and Kilter, 
he embraced affectionately. "'It is useless to pursue the demons,' said Santa Claus to the army. "'They have their place in the world and can never be destroyed. But that is a great pity, nevertheless,' he continued musingly. So the fairies and knooks and pixies and rills all escorted the good man to his castle, and there left him to talk over the events of the night with his little assistants. Whisk had already rendered himself invisible and flown through the big world to see how the children were getting along this bright Christmas morning, and by the time he returned, Peter had finished telling Santa Claus of how they had distributed the toys. "'We really did very well,' cried the fairy in a pleased voice, "'for I found little unhappiness among the children this morning. Still, you must not get captured again, my dear master, for we might not be so fortunate another time in carrying out your ideas.' He then related the mistakes that had been made, which he had not discovered until his tour of inspection, and Santa Claus at once sent him with rubber boots for Charlie Smith and a doll for Mamie Brown, so that even those two disappointed ones became happy. As for the wicked demons of the caves, well, they were filled with anger and chagrin when they found that their clever capture of Santa Claus had come to naught. Indeed, no one on that Christmas day appeared at all to be selfish, or envious, or hateful. And, realizing that while the children's saint had so many powerful friends it was folly to oppose him, the demons never again attempted to interfere with his journeys on Christmas Eve. If you enjoy stories of your and yours and you want to help out the show, there are a few ways to do it. The easiest way is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. That gives the show more visibility and helps it in the Apple Podcasts algorithm. Of course, if you leave a review, I'll read it and produce it here on the show, the same way I do with the stories. But you're already doing the most important thing you can do, and that's listening. Thanks for listening. I'm not sure why the demons of hate and envy and malice and so forth really want to have the demon of repentance around, but it's a good thing for us that they did. And I don't know about you, but if I ended up being kidnapped by a bunch of demons, well, I might move to the North Pole too. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Stories of Your and Yours. For a full list of music and sound effect credits, please visit syypodcast.libsyn.com slash blog. Now next time, I've got a listener-submitted story for you, that I really enjoyed, and I think you will too. And that's all I'm going to say right now, just to keep from giving anything away. Until then, this has been Stories of Your and Yours. I've been Sean Ennis saying Merry Christmas and be excellent to each other. Thanks for listening. See you next time. If you've got a request for a short story, or if you've written your own short story that you want to submit to the show, you can do that through any of the social media channels, or you can email me at syypodcast at gmail.com. Thank you.